Well, good morning again, church. Thank you so much uh, for gathering. Thanks for bringing the church into uh, whatever space you happen to be in right now, around a dining room table, living room, wherever it happens to be in. Uh, and thanks for inviting us into the that particular space. And so it's a joy to be able to, to gather uh, with you to worship Jesus through song. And it's a joy of mine that I get the privilege of opening up God's word with you all this morning. And if we've never been introduced before, my name is Jamie and it is my great honor, it's my great privilege to serve as one of the pastors uh, at Cross Point. And like I said, it's a joy to open up God's word with you this morning as we continue our series in the great book of 2 Corinthians. And so as we get into things th- this morning, all right, um, I want to frame it this way. Uh, we are going to be talking about money. We're going to be talking about generosity, all right? Now, hopefully I didn't just lose like half of you in the, the live stream, all right? So stick with me. Before, though, we get into this talk about what Jesus has to say, what the Bible has to say about, about money and finances and generosity, if we're going to talk about money, I first want to talk to you about roller coasters, all right? So go with me for a moment, all right? Um, I'm somebody that absolutely does love and enjoy roller coasters, all right? Uh, Show of hands, how many of you like roller coasters, all right? I have no idea if you're raising your hand or not, but I'm trusting that some of you answered that question. So thank you for participating, all right? Now, here's the reality for me. I didn't always like roller coasters. It was something, um, honestly, that I remember years ago, as a little kid, my aunt and uncle took me to like the Six Flags Park, and I didn't ride a single thing. I was like, no way, you're not getting me on that. And then I think it was in college and going with a group of friends back to that same park outside of Chicago, um, and it was just the, the basically the public shaming that would have occurred had I not gotten on the ride. And I'm like, okay, all my friends are, are doing this. I'm going to go. And maybe you've had this experience, right? Like you get ready to go on something, you're seeing this on your screen, right? Um, that, that sort of feeling is you're watching people, all right, and they are going on this ride and you're standing in, in line, you're sort of waiting. And for me, all right, um, to this day, even as somebody that now does actually love roller coasters, I want to keep myself occupied, have conversations if I'm in line with, with people um, that I know, or even if I don't know, I will suddenly become a bit more extroverted and start to strike up conversation um, just to sort of occupy my mind. And then what seems like it took forever, there'll be this moment um, where all of a sudden it's like, things begin moving very quickly, right? And you have this moment of like, oh my gosh, they're loading me on. Um, What if I don't get in on time? Are they gonna start the ride and I'm gonna be dangling like half out? And maybe that's my own neuroses uh, there, but maybe you have some of those things. And so you make a beeline. It's like, gotta get in my seat, all right? And you pull the thing over your shoulders and then they come by and push it down even further. So whatever little bit of breath you've been holding on, it's like, (gasps) it just gets pushed all the way out, right? And then the ride starts, And it's this slow, unless you're on the Hulk, all right? There's this slow click, 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 and you're going. And it always runs through my mind, this sort of like, uh, is this thing running out of power? Like, is it gonna make it up the hill? Like, are we just gonna careen backwards? Is this how my life is going to end? And sort of all this kind of flood of different thoughts. And then you get up right towards the top, sort of at this crest, and then there's that pause. Like, there's just that moment where you're looking out over the whole park and the city, And it's just like this moment of just sort of silence. And then, like down you go and you plummet, all right? And it's both terrifying and exhilarating, all right? There's this utter terror and there's just this thrill of it. And I, as somebody now who loves roller coasters, sort of embrace that. And, and that's just part of it. Now, some of you might be like, I've, I've never been scared. And some of you are like, I'm still terrified. But maybe you can relate to that. There's sort of both of those emotions. And it's that particular view of roller coasters that 
led me to resonate so much with a quote I'm about to read you right here by Tim Keller in a study uh, that his church, Redeemer Presbyterian, put out on stewardship. And here's what he said, likening money, here's the link back to money and generosity, to a roller coaster. And he said this, he said, we should see giving like a roller coaster ride. It feels adventurous and risky, but it's really safe. We think we are going to plummet, but God holds onto us tightly. Anything that much fun becomes contagious. And many Christians experience that thrill. Once they make giving a priority, it becomes more and more joyful. And church, that's what God desires for you and for me and for us collectively as his people, that we would experience the sort of contagious joy that we recognize there's some fear. It does feel risky, but when we understand, and this passage we're gonna get into today, so we'll just reinforce this and I think breathe through the spirit, just some confidence into us to know, okay, at the end of the day, the riskiest thing we could actually do is to actually hold on to our finances, to sort of hoard those, to view ourselves as owners and not stewards. But when we get this opportunity, when we see what the scriptures teach about money, it's why Jesus talked about it all the time, is because there's a tendency to not realize how firm of a grip it has on us. And the Lord is inviting us into this adventure to follow him, to risk, and yet know he is upholding us in and through all of this. And there's a joy in being a generous people. And so uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at 2 Corinthians chapter eight, which is a lot about money. And then Paul, it's like he's doing this kind of mini series sermon right in the middle of the book. And then chapter nine is what we're gonna look at this morning. And so if you got a Bible, please turn there. We wanna make our way through all of chapter nine. It's 15 verses. If you, didn't, if you don't have a Bible near you, or even if you do, you could also find it helpful to go to cpwp.life and click on message notes. And there you will find uh, any of the slides that I put up and the scripture passage that this morning. So I wanna go ahead and read 2 Corinthians chapter nine. So we kind of understand the full context of what Paul's saying, how he's addressing generosity and finances and giving and, and not just like how to do it, but what should be our disposition when we give. And does the Lord expect us to give? Like all sorts of different things the Apostle Paul is going to address. And so follow along as I read this. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul says this. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year. And your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift and not as an exaction. Verse six, so the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. 
For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. This is the word of the Lord, and I want to invite you right now to pray with me. I'll put the words on the screen. Read these aloud. Let it be the posture of our heart that we would open ourselves up and say, Lord, teach me. In the midst of a topic that can be challenging and difficult, we need to hear from the Lord. And so pray along with me. Prepare our hearts, O God, to accept your word. Silence in us any voices but your own, so that we may hear your word and also do it through Christ our Lord. Amen. So church, let's make our way back through this particular passage. Um, the context, again, as we look at the first five verses, there's this preparation that, that's happening. And so maybe you're new to this particular series and wondering, hey, what preceded this? Who's he talking about with the Macedonians and an Achaia and all, all of these sort of geographic references? But as we look back over verses one to five, let me sort of summarize it in this way, all right? There is a famine that has occurred in Jerusalem and the church there is struggling. And so Paul is in another part of the world and he is calling people to give generously, sacrificially, cheerfully uh, to aid the, the church, the brothers and sisters in Christ over in Jerusalem who are suffering tremendously. And so he's talked to those in Macedonia and we learn that they were very, very poor, but out of their poverty, they actually, they gave, all right? They're like, we would count it a great joy to give. And prior to that, Paul had rallied this church in Corinth, all right? And they too had said, yeah, we're going to give. And in fact, their commitment to giving, sort of their pledge that they made, um, encouraged the Macedonians and others and their willingness to give. But now it's time to actually go and um, say, okay, you made this pledge, you made this commitment, this verbal commitment, but now we actually need the funds because a group is going to be traveling. And so Paul's going to send some folks there. And he's as we know the reality, right? Like we could get excited about giving and we can make a pledge or promise a commitment, but when it comes time to it, it's like, oh, like we actually, like this is going to cost us. And so Paul is preparing them. He's saying, hey, there's a group that's coming and they're actually gonna ask not just for your words, but for financial help so that we can assist this church. And so there's this preparation that's taking place. That's sort of the quick summary of one to five, all right? Verses one to five. But it's not just a preparation for how the money's gonna be handled, that we looked at that last week. It's not just a preparation of like, okay, well, here's the heads up and get this ready and go to the bank or whatever it is you need to, need to do. It's more than that. There's not just a preparation of getting the funds ready, but Paul is saying, I wanna help get your hearts ready. And it's not just a word for them a couple thousand years ago. It's a word for you and for me and for us together as the church in this moment. If you're a follower of Jesus, then that means he is Lord of your life. And one of the ways that we look to see, it does Christ, is he really ruling and reigning in my life is to ask ourselves some hard questions as it pertains to, is he Lord over my finances? Like us being generous doesn't earn us the favor of God, but it does prove if the Lord in fact has transformed and is transforming our hearts because it should create something in us with a desire to want to give. And so Paul's asking them, as we're being asked here together this morning, how is your heart? Because it's possible to give a lot of money and not have your heart prepared and be in the right place. And it wouldn't be the generosity that the Bible speaks of. 
So let's look then, if that's, if that's sort of the, the context there about preparing, let's look at how Paul talks about it, beginning in verses six to seven. And I love that he says this, because sometimes I'm in a, in a text and preparing for a sermon, it's like, oh, what's the main point? Um, but when he comes out and the Apostle Paul says, the point is this, all right, um, I think it's helpful to just sort of pay attention to that. So look with me again at verses six to seven. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And so even that language bountifully, it also can be translated like whoever sows blessing is saying, all right, we'll also reap blessing. And so you know the proverb, you know the, the phrase, perhaps you've used it before, like um, you're gonna reap what you sow. And it's this farming sort of language, all right, that, that's used about planting seeds, all right? And so what the apostle Paul is doing is he's likening this planting of seeds and saying, okay, there's a certain way you're gonna go about this and you're gonna reap what, what you sow. And so did you sow generously or were you sort of stingy with your sowing? Were you stingy in the planting of these kind of you know, seeds of generosity? How are you doing in regards to that? The question is, are you sowing sparingly or are you sowing bountifully? Are you actually intentionally sowing blessing out into the world? And so the imagery here, all right, it's not even between somebody who doesn't sow and somebody who does, it's actually, are you sowing sparingly in sort of a controlled manner that's like very calculated and like, okay, I'm just gonna do the bare minimum or I'm gonna make sure it's done in such a way that I actually uh, maybe don't feel that it's too costly to me. And so maybe the imagery here is like, you can kind of picture, I'm putting this up on your screen right, right now, is like kind of this one by one, just putting these seeds in the ground. And yes, it's sowing, all right? But it's in such a way that it's very, very calculated, and I don't know that it gets at the heart of generosity that the Lord is inviting us into. So the image I think that we should have in mind here is the Apostle Paul is talking to this church in Corinth, but not only to them, but to us here this morning is more like this image here. It's one where you've got this huge basket or this huge barrel that's full of seed. And what you see that person doing is they're just reaching it and they're casting this seed. They're throwing it to the right and they're throwing it straight ahead and they're throwing it to the left. And they're, they're casting the seed with every step. They're throwing out more and more seed. That is the picture then of somebody who's sowing bountifully and then they are going to reap a harvest and it's going to be bountiful. And so that is the invitation that we have to be the type of people that are just reaching in and like, okay, I'm gonna sow seeds of generosity everywhere that I go. And then verse seven, the apostle Paul says this, each one, and so I think that's interesting, is he's saying, not just for some people, each one, all right? So if you're a follower of Jesus, this is everyone must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. So let's just unpack that particular verse for just a moment. Each one, all right? So it's not just for the super Christian or somebody that um, feels like they've got even all their finances in order. There's a call for all of us to explore, to examine our hearts and say, hey, are we generous people? And so must give as he has decided. Now, one of the things I find fascinating um, is just the history of words, the root of words, all right? Uh, maybe I'm trying to justify the number of years of Latin that, that, that I took um, in high school and in college, but that word there says he has decided, all right? There's a Latin word that's desidere, all right? 
And it's where we get our English word for decide, decided, decisions, things like that. And what's fascinating about that word as you study it is it literally means to cut off, almost like this dismember. It's like, oh, I am gonna, I'm gonna, like, gonna cut, like, it's like cutting your arm off, all right? It's like, well, I'm gonna do away with that. That's painful, all right? It's literally this understanding of like, there are all this kind of plethora of different decisions. And when you and I move in a particular direction, all right, we might be excited about that, but we are also cutting off, we are putting to death these other trajectories, these other directions, these other paths that we might go. And so the apostle Paul is calling us to the reality of like, hey, there's going to be a putting to death. There is going to be difficulty. Like when you choose to be generous, it means it will cost you. You may not get to live in the neighborhood you want to live in or drive the car you want to drive or go out to that restaurant as often as you would like. There are going to be particular things, particular trajectories of your life and my life that will be cut off. Now, maybe not entirely, but it's a call to like consider these matters, to not do it flippantly, all right? But it says decide in your heart. It's not a compulsion, certainly. He says, you know, not under compulsion. It's like, hey, don't be, um, don't think about this always just in the moment either. Like, you need to plan for generosity. You need to be thinking it through. He says, so decide in your heart, contemplate it. But don't do it reluctantly or under compulsion with this posture. I think what he's communicating is that somehow, okay, well, if I do this, I'll kind of get God off my back or I can feel good about it or maybe I'll earn the favor of God. It's like, that's not it at all. He says, for God loves what? God loves a cheerful giver. Think of that opening quote. Think of the roller coaster, right? It feels risky. There's some things about it that are maybe a bit terrifying. And yet there is a, there's a joy. Like we get to engage in this. The most joyful people that I know are some of the people that are most, most generous. Certainly with their time, talent, but also with their treasure, with what God has given to them. And so if you're looking kind of like just practically, what's the call here? Maybe to think about it and summarize it this way, that the call for us as a follower of Jesus, we should give in a way that is costly. We should give in a way that's consistent, where we would decide in our hearts, we would get a plan together and that it would be cheerful. It's not begrudging, but rather it's like, Lord, look at what you have given to me. And so we live in glad response to that. And so let me ask you, church, you know, are you sowing cheerfully? Are you sowing in a way that's bountiful, all right? And are, are you sowing in a way that is cheerful? I think one of the keys to giving and being cheerful is examining our hearts and asking, are, are we actually content in the Lord? Because it's not so much about an amount, but rather it's this seeing and it's an invitation, like I get to do this, I get to participate. First Timothy chapter six, verse six to seven the whole, all the verses around it are helpful to read, but let me just read six to seven here. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. Kind of stating the obvious there. And yet at the same time, it's helpful to have the obvious stated because I lose sight of that. All the little things are vying for my attention. Oh, I need this. Or what if I order this? Or if I get this particular thing? We didn't bring it into the world. We can't take it out of the world. So there's this call to godliness. There's this call to contentment. Some of the most cheerful givers I know have a deep contentment. And that's across a spectrum of, of finances. Some who have, by the world standards, great financial means and some by the world standards who have little financial means. It's not about that, but rather it's their heart disposition. They are content in who they are in the Lord and that leads them to being cheerful givers. 
And so now look with me, all right, here's where the Apostle Paul goes. So that's the point, that's what we're to be engaged in. And then he connects it to these promises. Look with me at verses eight to 11 of chapter nine. Paul says these words, all right? And God is able to make all grace abound to you. Now be listening for the promises in these particular verses. He's able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Now, there's a lot of promises in these particular verses. And one of the things, though, that I think is quite natural that might be popping into your mind, it certainly popped into my mind over the past few days of studying this passage and reading, is it can almost come across, all right, when we read it, as if it's promising us some prosperity, all right? And so then we end up thinking, like, is the, is the crazy TV preacher actually right? Not to mention the fact that, hey, we're all TV preachers right now, but you know what I'm saying, right? Like, what is, what is this teaching? You know, maybe a way to think about it is this promising sort of this prosperity, this sort of prosperity gospel of which we want to be very adamant, very clear that there, there's no such thing as this prosperity gospel. So what, what is this getting at? Is Paul trying to advocate for, well, if you just send in this love offering, it's going to be multiplied 10 times in your life and you're going to be blessed. And you're going to have this amazing, luxurious car and home and vacations and everything's just going to be amazing in your life. And you're going to find the true love of your life, like all of those things. That's not what he's talking about. There are promises. So don't don't miss that. These verses are loaded with promises, but the way we need to think about this and frame this is we must connect the promises with their purpose. And we see that as we look back over these particular verses. So look back, we'll just start in verse eight. Yes, there's promises that are made, but the purpose isn't a blessing for you and me. It's a blessing that would be passed on to other people. And so the Lord is very clear, and Paul is confident in this. He says, I mean, just verse eight alone is just spectacular. I mean, just the way Paul just, he's building on these sort of themes, and he's like, and God is able. Not you, not me. Let's get it clear. God is able to make what? A little bit of grace? No, no, all grace. And he uses this word abound over and over again. It's just cascading. It's overflowing. It's that all grace abound to you, so that having a little bit of sufficiency, no, all sufficiency, when in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And so the Lord is saying, hey, will you trust me enough to give sacrificially, consistently, in a costly, in a cheerful manner? And when you do, know this, that I am going to make all grace abound to you. I'm gonna give you what you need, not so that you can hoard it or store up more, but the Lord wants you to continue to be a blessing to other people. And the more you trust him in that, and the more you give toward his purposes in his kingdom, the Lord will sustain you, he'll take care of you, and he will allow for you, he's saying here, to actually abound in every good work. Well, what are the good works? It's to love your neighbor as yourself. And so God's not saying, don't, you won't take care of yourself, but rather the point, the purpose, is to keep passing it on to other people. And so that's when we can have confidence. And then we look at verse nine. This is a, a reference to Psalm 112. And the he is not referring to God. It's actually referring to us as people when we give generously. He has distributed freely. He's given to the poor. This is, you know, God's heart is always for the poor, the marginalized, the disenfranchised, those on the underside of power. And it says his righteousness endures forever. 
And so Christian, know this, when you give in a way that your, your heart is connected to the heart of God, and you have this care and this concern and you take what you've been given and you see it not as your own to be hoarded, but rather that you're a steward and you, you pass on and you, you sow that seed of generosity, of blessing. It says your righteousness endures forever, that those good deeds don't go unnoticed. Those good deeds will continue to have not just an impact here in the moment, but there's an internal impact. In some ways you might not even possibly know in your lifetime, but know this, that they are being used by God. Verse 10, he who supplies what? Seed to the sower and bread for food. Again, it's talking about God. God's the active agent. God is the one who supplies. Will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase what? The harvest of your righteousness. What is this righteousness? Again, it's care for the things of God, for his church, for his kingdom, for his purposes, for the people that don't know him to advance the cause of Christ, to see people's needs met financially. It's one of the things I've been so encouraged with you all as the church. I see you guys doing this and giving sacrificially. And so in many ways, I hope this isn't something that you are hearing like, oh, I guess we gotta do more, but rather to encourage you and to, to fan into flame what is already taking place. And then verse 11, you will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. I don't think that enriching means, oh, and then you're gonna be set for life financially, but rather there's this enriching, there's just a joy. If you're not giving in a way that's sacrificial and consistent and cheerful and all of that, you're actually, there's two things. You are robbing God, but you're also robbing yourself. You're robbing yourself of the joy of participating with God in his purposes. And so we must connect the promises with their purpose. And so he says, you'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Again, it's not meant to terminate, to end with us. I love the way I'll read you this quote from John Piper. And he talks about this imagery here. He said, sometimes we just get stuck in sort of the cul-de-sac of self. And maybe that would include in a cul-de-sac, well, maybe there's another house or two. And so we just kind of take care of people that are in our inner circle. And we just kind of keep it at that. And around and around we go, and we're stuck in this cul-de-sac of self. But the point is to be conduits of God's grace, that it would move out past your, your home or wherever you happen to be and flow out into the community. And then furthermore, when we think about that, these conduits, I love the way that he talks about it. Sometimes we're like, okay, well, we've got to have the, the best and, and greatest conduits ever. Um, and Piper has a great way of putting this. Let me read the quote. He says this, God has made us to be conduits of his grace, not cul-de-sacs. And the danger is in thinking the conduit should be lined with gold. It shouldn't. Copper will do. And so in that particular quote, he's telling us not to focus on self, to be a conduit of God's grace. And then also, very practically, if it's going to be consistent and cheerful, but also costly, we will have to intentionally live below our means. So you might be able to afford the gold-plated conduits. But he's like, Copper will get the job done. And so be okay with that. Even in a difficult time, many of us are even finding, right? Maybe you're in this situation. It's not to make light of it, but sometimes we get our mindset fixed on like, I couldn't possibly live with any less income. And then it might be forced upon us and we realize, oh, we actually can and so that's not to make light of that, but rather when we think through our life and we set a budget and we make plans, like how many of us are taking the time to ask, how will this affect my ability to be a blessing to sow seeds of generosity? Am I gonna push it to the max in such a way that it ends up being about a cul-de-sac of self? 
rather than thinking through, oh, can I continue to be the generous person that I have been in the past? Or maybe you haven't started that and you're like, well, I'll put that off. Why not start it now? And then where this ends, and we'll close with with this, verses 12 to 15. In fact, it started at the end of verse 11. It says these words. It says, we'll be generous in every way, which through us will do something. It will produce thanksgiving to God. And so there at the end of verse 11, and then verse 12 through the end of the chapter, it speaks of, Paul speaks of this praise, this worship, this adoration. Look with me again at 12 to 15. For the ministry of the service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God, this abounding thanksgiving. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. So again, this is all rooted and tied to the gospel, that our generosity flows out of the fact that God has been generous with us. And the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and they pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. And then verse 15, so thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. So as Paul is bringing this to a conclusion and he's made you know, particular, um, he's given particular details about how this is to be handled and he's talking about the heart of the matter and all of this, he concludes by talking about worship. He concludes by talking about praise. And I think that's really key for us to hear in this because it's one thing to give help to somebody financially and that is a good and it's a right thing. It's a beautiful thing. But what people are ultimately created for is to be worshipers. Every single person is a worshiper of someone or something. It might be a career, it might be their home or their hobby or their pet or whatever it happens to be, all right? We take good things that the Lord has given us and we elevate them to a place that only God belongs, And when that thing gets threatened, no wonder we come undone because we've set something up in a place in a position it was never intended to be. Only God is to be worshiped. And we've been created to be worshipers or something in the human heart. And so what is happening here is the apostle Paul is tying generosity and meeting financial needs and very practical, pragmatic sort of needs in saying that in and of itself is amazing, but it's not enough. What we want to see is not just people having their financial needs met so that they can pay for shelter and food and all that, but ultimately so they might find meaning in life that goes beyond simply the pragmatic of money but leads them to actually worship God. That we might all be engaged in this chorus of praise to our God and to our King. Because at the end of the day, praise for every single person, all right, praise of King Jesus is our purpose. We give praise to lots and lots of things. We don't lack for praise. Even some of you are like, oh, you know, I, I, I kind of feel awkward kind of uh, singing or, or praising or that, that sort of thing. But not in every area of life. Like we praise lots and lots of things. You see it on social media. You hear it in conversations. We ooh and ah about all kinds of things. And yet what is ultimate, what is most important is to praise Jesus for who he is. And I think this brings us to a point then as we consider these matters and maybe we're feeling the spirit press on us this morning. I, I want that joy and I want to experience it. And maybe I'm, I'm too fearful right now. I know there's this joy that will come, but I'm, I'm scared or it feels too risky. Or you don't know my particular finances and I don't. And so I think part of it today is just ask yourself, hey, what's the next step that you can take? What's the next click on the dial, all right? It's to ask yourself, hey, am I a generous person? Am I even structuring? Am I deciding in my heart like how I'm actually gonna set my life up to be a generous person? 
But at the end of the day, I think it comes down to this. It's a question of do we actually trust God? It's very, it happens very, very early, doesn't it? Like we, even as little kids, one of the first words that we'll use, and it goes with that kind of a clenched fist image, right, is the word mine. Church, we need to grow. I need to grow in eradicating that mentality of mine from my life, from my vocabulary. I am not an owner. I am a steward of what God has given to me. And so there's this question that becomes like, do we trust him? We tend, I tend to operate, all right? Even in times of generosity, I'm gonna do that, but then I'm gonna hold on to these things. Lord, don't ask me for more. And I've got my, fin- my fist kind of clenched in this sort of pro- posture. And so we are asked, do we trust him? And the only way we're going to actually trust him to have our hands sort of opened up is when you and I realize it's what Paul's been doing throughout these particular chapters of eight and nine, but it's what the Bible, it's the story the Bible is telling. It's telling a story about the open-handedness of our God, a God who didn't clamor for what ultimately belonged to him, what was his right. It wasn't a God that kept a clenched fist and said, all right, you guys screwed up, you messed up, you're gonna get what you deserve, all right? You're gonna reap what you have sowed of sin over and over again, but rather our God who says, I'm gonna be open-handed with you. So let's close with this. Hear these words out of another letter from Paul in Philippians chapter two, verses five to eight. He calls the church to this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Do you hear what the Apostle Paul is saying? Do you hear what he's reminding the church of? Not only back then, but us right here, right now. My tendency, the tendency of the human heart is to have a clenched fist. And then we look and we see the God who possessed everything, who could actually have a clenched fist and say, this is mine. It's my world. I created it. I created you. But rather, he opens up his hand. He didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but rather he entered into our story, into the mess of humanity. And he lived a sinless, perfect, generous, hospitable, moving toward people sort of life, the life we were called to live. He perfectly loved God the Father and he perfectly loved other people. It's the life we were called to, but we failed in over and over and over again. And we continue to fail in. And yet he perfectly loved God and he perfectly loved others. He perfectly loved you and me to the point where it took him to a Roman cross. And there, the hands of God were laid open and laid bare. And in the most open-handed posture ever, they are nailed to a Roman cross. Jesus said, I am giving myself holy for you, for the glory of the Father and for your joy so that you might actually be brought into the family. And so now when we think about giving and we think about generosity and maybe we wanna get real pragmatic and be like, oh, well, what's the right percentage and all this? We're missing the point. The point is God has given us everything. And so his call to or us to be a generous people or his call to tithe and to give all of that, it seems ridiculous for us to be like, I can't believe you would ask me for that when we realize he's given us everything. What should sadness more is when we can't give anymore. 
Our calling is to look to Jesus and be like, you have done this all for me. Praise be to you. Help me to live my life open-handed. Help me to live this sort of cruciform life, to see my Savior giving everything. That fuels us, it drives us, it motivates us, it allows us then the resources to live as a generous people. And so church, let's close with this. I'm gonna close in prayer. I'm gonna invite you to take some time to examine your heart, to confess to the Lord. And then let's celebrate the reality of the gospel together. And I wanna challenge you and encourage you to be thinking through in time today. And don't even do it in isolation. Like talk with, with somebody about what are your plans? How are you gonna structure your life to be a generous person? to make commitments to that and watch what happens as the Lord continues to meet your needs, as the Lord continues to provide a joy that was perhaps lacking in your life before. That's the invitation that we have. So we pray for us and let's continue to worship Jesus through song. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your kindness, your abounding grace and mercy in our lives that you would care for us so deeply that you would send your one and only son, Jesus, to be emptied, to be poured out, to be broken for us. Jesus, thank you for your willingness to do that. Thank you that you gave everything. You did not tithe your blood or your life, but you gave it all. We are exceedingly grateful. Holy Spirit, remind us of those truths. Remind us in those times when we doubt and we sometimes think, God, you're holding out on us or you're being stingy toward us. May we repent of that. We may confess that sin. May we remember and celebrate the reality that, God, you have been so unbelievably generous toward us. And it's even part of your generosity that you invite us and you allow us to participate in your kingdom work. May we be a church that is open-handed, that grows in generosity, and that we would just experience just a great blessing and joy as we're blessing other people. And so, God, as we continue in worship now, get the glory that you deserve. And may we, as your people, experience a deep and abiding joy. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.